Borak Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 149th episode of Space Spinner 2000. So many. So many. 150 next time, buddy. Um, podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode we're covering 2000 AD for April and April and May 1986, progs 468 to 470. This time Ace Trucking catches us up. Judge Anderson exercises, that's X or sizes. Mm-hmm. The citizens of Mega City One are mental. Strontium Dog uh, feels some rage. And Michael Swifty Swift is looking for a job in the far future. Oh, and I guess there's a guy from named Blue, and he's a button man? Question mark? <laughs> yeah, a lot of question marks. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, beautiful. If you, yeah, if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 9, Strontium Dog, SDHC Files 3, The Complete Ace Trucking Volume 2, Judge Anderson, The Sci-Fi the Sci Files Volume 1, 2080 Extreme Edition 14, and the Sooner or Later Collection. And yeah, oh man, Fox, we're back after kind of a, of a short yeah. hiatus, just getting caught up after the big holidays and stuff like yeah. that, you know. But um, hopefully back in for another long run. So excited to get back to talking about 2000 AD and Hell all these awesome yeah, comics, buddy. buddy. I love comic books and I love you and I love 2000 AD. Let's kick this off with some rage. Hey, you know I feel the same way. If I lost you, I'd have to get revenge on your killers, Fox. And in oh, that way, feeling some rage. <laughs> Please, please, I want to make a, a blood pact with you right now that you will rampage if if I am murdered, like Archer hey, style. Uh, only if you do the same, buddy. And that takes us to through one strontium dog. Beautiful. <laughs> Script robot Alan Grant and John Wagner's Alan Grant. Art robot Carlos Escara. Letting robot Gordon Robson is Kid Robson. Oh man. Bad times in Smiley's on the planet Smiley's world, as the townsfolk have a funeral procession for Wolf Sternhammer, his ha- his happy stick, his hammer laid across his casket. An injured Johnny Alpha stops to them to take his place as a pallbearer, and the priest does a standard sort of eulogy. But when he gets to the part about forgiving those who killed him, Johnny steps up and stops him angrily. No forgiveness here. <laughs> it's so it, it awesome. Was, uh... It was pretty intense. He just Super. grabs him, tosses the hammer in the fucking in the dirt, and like we're it's now rage time. Yeah, That's we're great. in the revenge business here, guys. Um, absolutely. After a week or so at the Keebles, Johnny's all healed up. He explains that he's learned to... Oh, so he explained the thing that was sort of a confusing last episode, which is where he actually died but then came back. And he sort of explained that he learned to stop his heartbeat enough to fool the unwise. The Keebles... It's definitely. The Keebles offer to let Johnny stay with them, but he can't. He's got to get yeah. that, that revenge. Dude. He, he rides his mork back to his old cabin, finds the uh, John Wick-style stash of, like, guns and money in, like, like, in a concrete slab in his basement. It's literally John Wick. But Absolutely. Instead of, his, instead of his dog dying in his house getting blown up, his best friend dies and his house gets blown up. If anything, it's worse. I mean, like, John Wick only had that dog for, like, a day, you know? Yeah, you know, he didn't have, like, a long bonded friendship yeah, across like, time w- and space. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, this, so this is he, really fantastic. <laughs> he gets all of his stuff. Johnny Alpha spends a few days retraining his fighting reflexes and just smoldering with the memory of Max Bubba and his gang. Eventually, though, he's got to go. He says goodbye to the Keebles and begins to chart his path of rage. Uh, and, like, as he's leaving, basically, the the husband and wife are just like, oh, fuck, man. <laughs> Someone's yeah. really dead. I, I, I shudder to think at those who come across him. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So we're starting this the, the the rage story for Johnny Alpha. He stumps into the Johnny stumps into the doghouse. Most folks are nice to him, sort of offering him their sympathies and stuff. He confronts some other dogs and basically just says, "Max Bubba and hit and his gang are his." So hands off. 
And this oh, this awesome. bull strontium dog with like a, a a ring in his nose said like objects and he just gets beaten up. <laughs> just he, gets the, he gets the ring in his nose like ripped out or something, right? Because later, it's real, yeah, real awesome. <laughs> the action's paused briefly for a future shock in the middle of this story, which is real dumb. Yeah. And then Johnny <laughs> confronts Shaking my the... fists at you, future shocks. You're already yeah. on fucking thin ice. Not now, future shocks. We're busy. <laughs> Johnny confronts the new bounty officer, Sydney, to get information on the Bubba gang. He asks for a permit to visit Earth to try to get some leads and find the gang. He's gotten real tough and no nonsense since Wolf died. It's very clear. Oh, and I get, you know, he, he's got a right to be, I'd say. The formerly nose ringed bull mutant swears revenge, but his buddies suggest waiting until the time is right. <laughs> Which I guess, you know, it's a, it's a usual villain plot line, right? Yeah, yeah, we we can't strike now when they're weak. We got to wait till the time is right when they've gained some experience points. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of experience points, the first thing that you do is just break into, I guess, a... I love this dinner scene, by the way, because it's just a bunch of people sitting around and literally saying horrible things. I love like it, a yeah. It's a re- <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's, it's New Britain Earth. Johnny crashes into a fancy, like, gentleman to evil style dinner party in Rutgers. Literally, City. they're just like, it's so great being bad. Yeah, and also racist. Yeah, racism is great, right, guys? And they're like, yeah, everything that isn't us is horrible, and people who don't hate as much as we do are shit. More caviar. It's, like, it's, what the fuck? it's very real. Like I'm, I'm really like this feels realistic to me. Um, <laughs> Johnny bursts in. Dinner parties are. Yeah, yeah. Right down to a bounty hunter jumping in and, and exposing one rich guy as having an evil son. You know, Fantastic. in this case, in this case, Mister Bubba, Max Bubba's um, father, doesn't have any idea about the location of his son. Um, he kicked Max out long ago. And like but because, Johnny basically outs him in front of everybody, right? So. Yeah, like because Johnny questioned him just in the middle of a dinner party, it's a huge scandal. Johnny leaves to let the Bubba's pick up their lives. There's a real like part where they're like daughters, like, I have a brother? And then we're just out of there. No, no more. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> and who's mutated. She runs out saying, oh yeah. my god, the shame. And it's like, wow. Exactly. awesome. <laughs> Later in Milton Keynes, the biggest mutant ghetto in Europe, Johnny's looking for other gang members, first Brute's family, and then Impetigo Jones' brother, Scab Jones. Scab lays in wait and tries to get the chop on the drop on Johnny, but Alpha dodges the last minute and prepares to get as much info as possible from Scab. Next time on Strontium Dog, picking Scab. Oh, God, so gross. But also... So, again, and I always have to come back to this question. All of these mutants know who Johnny Alpha is. A man who basically, like, made it so that they definitely wouldn't die to his super racist father. Um, (laughs) He also has basically become one of the most feared bounty hunters in the goddamn, like, Strontium Dogs. People still want to shoot at this man? It seems like you wouldn't. It seems like you just give up once you find out that he's that he's after you. Plus, he's also a a folk hero in this city of of Milton Keynes. We saw that in a recent annual. Like there was that story where there were those like mutant gamblers, and like Johnny, like they got killed, and then Johnny sort of beat this other guy at at like cards and won a lot of money, and then gave it to Milton Keynes, basically. Like, mm. there's literally, like, a Johnny Alpha elementary school in Milton Keynes. There's literally, like, a Wolf Sternhammer street in this city, you know? So, like, the idea that you that people would just instantly give up all the information or just be like, please just don't kill me, Johnny. Like, I just, I don't want to be warped into the past, please. Right? <laughs> I don't. I don't want a grenade thrown at my feet that then puts me into outer space. Yeah. No. But instead, they're just like, yeah, I'll get the drop on him. He can't be that tough. He's only one man. Like he's. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he's toppled empires, technically speaking. Yeah. Several kingdoms have been he's completely gone destroyed. The devil, effectively. I mean, I don't know how many people know that devil story, though. You know. I mean. But he did arrest Hitler. Like let's like. <laughs> I can't I can't stress it enough. <laughs> like you know you know if if anything at all, 
right? He if literally not, pulled... If not just, like, the liberation of his people, but, you know, at the very least, he arrested <laughs> Adolf <laughs> and And his own... And he killed his own father, which was Hitler to mutants. He's taken out at least, like, if you count his dad twice, he's taken out at least three Hitlers. Like, for the record. <laughs> that's, that's at least three times more Hitlers than most people, right? It's true. Yeah. And hey, speaking of uh, famous adversaries, Fox. Oh my god. It's Thrill 2, Ace Trucking. Uh, script oh, about John Wagner and Alan Grant as Grant Grover. Art about Massimo Bellardinelli. Letter about Tony Jacobs. You can tell that it's been a while since we've done this show, everybody at home, because of just how giddy and jokey Fox and I are as we uh, do this thing. <laughs> and and just the, the raw power of, of these goddamn stomach drugs. Oh, it's amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, the stomach drugs you're on, at least. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> my stomach's mostly drug-free. Thank you very much. I mean, um, listen, I wouldn't mind mostly. it being filled with hamburgers also, so. But I don't have any yeah. hamburgers. That's sad, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Man, okay. Space Trucker. Is weird. Yeah, Space Trucker, Ace Garp, his extra-dimensional doppelganger, and their buddy Feek, the ship's engineer, are dressed in chicken suits to try to sell intoxicating boozle bugs to the chicken men, chicken man alien gangsters Scarface Al Capon, which is a uh, chicken pun, and a chicken caricature of Paul Mooney from the movie Scarface from the 1930s, not the Al Pacino Scarface, for the record. Um but this Scarface makes Ace take off their chicken suits and pass over the boozle bugs. Under threat of GBH, Capon agrees to pay five million bims for the bug eggs. But outside the club, John Wayne chicken caricature Rooster Cogburn is preparing to attack the club. They're it's going in great. shooting and hollering and whooping. Yeah, yeah, he's buddy. Just got a, he's just pointing a tank at a, at a person's, like, business. He doesn't like to walk. He likes to walk. He likes to drive this tank around. <laughs> The troops go to attack just as the chicken version of Mick Jagger reaches the climax of I Can't Get No Satisfaction. He takes a tank shell. He, sorry, he eats a tank shell just oh. as the aces are given their money. The room is rocked by an explosion. It's a raid. Oh, boy. So next up, things get real meta as Rooster Cogburn barrels down on the chicken gangsters in his tank. There's a crazy war scene with, like, chickens on motorcycles and gangsters <laughs> doing all this crazy stuff. There's a lot, a lot going on, Fox. And then it just stops halfway through. Yeah. It's so much that Tharg the Mighty himself steps in, pauses the action, and forces the Garps to give a full explanation of the story so far, including the opera, the alternate universe stuff and letting the main chickens in the fight also introduce themselves because this is like the ninth anniversary issue and Tharg figures that there will be a lot of new readers who are going to be just deeply confused by the Ace Garp story. (laughs) Is it ever like a normal Ace Garp story? I mean, I feel like there have been more normal Ace Garp stories. I mean, there was one where they just had to like deliver the mail really fast. Like that seems pretty basic. (laughs) In comparison oh to like chicken suits and boozle bugs and God knows what else, <laughs> I guess at the very least the the uh, you know ninth anniversary wasn't him being like just drowned in sun. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's true. He's not melting in the heart of a star and then tra- transported to an alternate universe. So, it's a weird yeah. story. It's a weird comic. Ace Ace Trucking. <laughs> never a dull moment at least yeah next up there's a showdown between chicken soldiers and chicken gangsters in the rubble of the nightclub the gangsters aren't doing so well but uh with the going getting tough the aces decide to get going running past rooster cogburn and just barely dodging a tank blast the gangsters surrender and it's victories all around uh luckily afterwards the aces crawl out of the rubble basically okay and with the money a successful trip Hey, why not? Now we got to get back yeah. to the Speedo Ghost, but uh, snap, GBH is in prison. Yeah, but first they put their, their chicken suits back on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and when they get back, <laughs> yeah, they learned that the detail actually. It's true. They learned that a GBH has been arrested and the ship has been impounded, so that's going to make things more difficult. Um, for taking down the Garps, Rooster Cogburn is awarded the Pulitzer Prize, even though it was previously eaten by Captain Leghorn, which is kind of gross. Have their ways. 
Yeah. Speaking of which, Leghorn is brought out and forced to display his plucked nakedness, busted <gasps> down to private, and assigned to Rooster Cogburn. Oh, no. Who just starts beating him with a switch, like immediately. There's some, there's some weird kinky stuff going on with these chickens, Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the aces in their chicken suits are bursting into the lockup to free GBH. He's not pleased to see them and say that he says that he'd rather just stay in prison than be involved in another harebrained scheme, at least until he hears Ace's words of friendship and sees the five million bims in cold hard cash. Well, hey, you know what? Like, everyone likes the sound of five million bims. I mean, you know, GBH is not, like, completely honorable. Like, he's in this space trucking business to make money just like anybody else. <laughs> he just gets tired of getting arrested a lot, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Meanwhile, Cogburn and, Leg- and Leghorn are walking the corridors when Leghorn spots a feather. One of his own! The Garps are here! Oh, man. I guess there you go. Next time, <laughs> Rooster Boostered. God, Ace is such a weird fucking comic book, man. It's it's deeply weird. Like, there's just like, so many unusual things that you wouldn't expect, I guess. Mostly just the chicken planet and how long we've been here and that they've decided to make chickens into or from movie characters. I mean, stuff. what's really amazing, yeah, we're sort of like this year has two big Ace stories, I think going into 87. Into 87. And, like, they're both, like, 26, like, progs long. There's, like, two progs in between them or something like that. And so this first one is just all this chicken stuff. And, man, I remember (laughs) my first time through, and I wasn't really reading, like, Ace Garp very closely. Just seeing little, like, you know, pages on the screen and occasional covers and stuff. And just being, like, like, that just seems, like, too much. (laughs) And now I'm reading it for real. And it's really a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's sometimes you just kind of look back and you're like, man, this is really like kind of going off the rails. <laughs> I don't think I don't know if there were rails to start with, so it's fine. You know, That's it's just doing its fair. own thing. Yeah. And speaking of uh, classic stories of betrayal, Fox, Ooh. it's thrill three, Judge Dread. We're getting uh, like what is this? The second part of like this guy. Yeah. Uh, this muscled, muscled uh, Marlowe. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Scripted by John Wagner and Alan Grant is T.B. Grover. Art robot Cam Kennedy. Ian Gibson is G. Twerk and Craig Robinson. Letting robot Tom Frame. Yes, yes, we're picking up this story, The Big Sleep, for part two. A private intimidator named Marlowe has been betrayed by one of his criminal buddies. And he's got to figure out who. But to make matters worse, he's got Judge Dredd coming after him. And he's been shot at least once. These um, both, or These guys look really similar. They are both frowny and toothy. One of them just happens to drool a bit more. A lot of helmet stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the whole thing's told in a hard-boiled, like, noir-style narration. Yeah. And it's got some cool hover bike action going on. Dread recaps that Marlowe braced the wrong person for a loan payment that had a gunfight with the right person. Meanwhile, Marlowe <laughs> bursts into his boss's office and starts bracing him. Eventually got him to confess. Marlowe's has gotten too reckless these days, borne out again by his breaking of the wrong guy's arm and stuff like that. Still, he's got to get revenge, and he and Marlo tosses Dude. his boss into the garbage grinder. Yikes! Which is the most terrifying thing in a house that I've ever seen in my life. Definitely. I mean, I feel like this is not the most terrifying version of it. That was when Citizen Snork got his nose caught in it, but it's still oh, pretty bad. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um. So he flies out, um, has some final observations before the bullets. He caught from dread catch up to him, and he eventually crashes his hoverbike and explodes the mighty Fadoom. Luckily, he's not actually dead, and Dredd learns that he'll be used to get leads for loan sharking. So good times, justice prevails. Aw, yeah. But who's going to feed yeah. his rat? It's just how it goes, man. He's going to have to, uh, you know, make his way in the big city. Become less of a flesh and blood rat, more of a stainless steel rat, my friend. <laughs> Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, Conrad. Mm-hmm. Just, Hold on. Let, just, just give me one moment to savor that with a... You know, let me just, I'm, I'm just going to dust my hands off and walk away here. <laughs> Put on your sunglasses so, uh, and cue the music. Exactly. So Ian Gibson takes over an art now as a citizen calls out to us, the readers, like, hey, man, he's one of the smiling, he's one of the one. few smiling faces in the crowd of mega citizens. And why? Because he's mental. 
Dread like actually pulls him aside and questions him on his sunny disposition and then lets him go when he finds his mental card and Dread can't see us despite the citizen talking to us talking to us about it. Like oh, man. the citizen heads to his shrink's office and uh, the uh, shrink is locked in there, hyper paranoid, doing a fake Freud accent, wearing a goatee, a fake goatee um, in his glasses. This was ridiculous. my favorite fourth wall break because he's like so who are you talking to them points in one direction and then when he looks he points in the other direction he's like nope they're over there now because because the, the image sh- uh, shifted <laughs> it's fucking oh. so the shrink says that the citizen's sunny disposition isn't normal and prescribes going out and getting mugged to listen it to lessen it Later, in a rough part of town, he's menaced by some muggers who get greedy when they see his mental card because apparently it just <laughs> lets just you do whatever you want. Each other. Yeah, they fight over it. One kills the other and then is promptly squashed by a falling bad glider. <laughs> Ain't that the luck? <laughs> and so he's just standing there like, damn, well, didn't get mugged. Yeah. Here's uh, Dredge. Sh- <laughs> Dread shows up and marks it as a murder and a suicide, but the citizen, still anxious for a beating to lessen his mood, like just cautious Dread upside the helmet. And because of that, like Dread just punches him so hard in the gut and face that I think his fist comes out the other side. Oh, it's really horrible. Uh, his shrink is also taken away because he th- and he thought he could only trust his patients, but now he was betrayed by one of them, which drives him mad as well. The mental sit is headed to the cubes, but honestly, hey, it's not that bad. And besides, in this city, it pays to be mental. It's just <laughs> this is one of my favorite dreads. It's just so such a ridiculous like talking to the camera, doing stuff. Well, actually, I think there's a. I know there's at least one one sequel to this as well that's like mm. it still pays to be mental or something like that. Oh, that's great. So um so look look forward to more mental action coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So next up, Dread rolls up to a ruckus in the Hang Wang uh Wangford under um, underblock, which who is an English mm. country western singer, as a random dude's just getting stoned out in the street. It's the lottery as done in real life. I guess so. Dread rolls up and breaks it up, quickly arrests everybody involved. He questions the perps, and no one seems to know why they started with the stoning. <laughs> Everyone's taken away and interrogated, but again, no one really knows. They just know that the victim, Rover Johnson, had it coming. For the record, they, they didn't oh. even use rocks for the stoning, but instead cans of pineapple slices, specifically yeah. slices. Um, yeah, not, not, what did they say, was it... Rings or whatever? Rings or something, and they're like, nah, slices. Yeah. In the end, it's all marked up as another mass hysteria and weird culture of Mega City 1, but Dread sends all the perps to the psycho cubes for brainwashing because he just, this would be no good if stonings just start, like, cropping up over Mega City 1. You know, you can't let people know that's an option, basically. Fuck, that's so great. And the worst part is that he's got to send Rover Johnson in there, too. He was the victim, just in case. Just in case there's something weird about him that caused people to do it. Yeah, we got to <laughs> just make sure this doesn't happen again on all fronts. Yeah. Uh, final story is called... It, uh, it has Dread being called into a bio lab where he finds a disgruntled employee burning zombie test subjects. Mm. Dread... Guns the man down, Thomas Zed, and we flash back to him starting the job. And I guess this place, Ag Bio. Yeah, it's crazy. They use these zombies, which are sort of semi-human life forms with minimal intelligence to be used as scientific test subjects. Um, and the, and Craig Robinson does the art here. Does some amazing stuff drawing these zombies suffering so from various detailed. like d- detailed, disgusting ailments. Like you're it's like a real big, not great. Like nest neck fistula thing that's like the size of a of a watermelon or something. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> it looks like if if humans could toad, you know. Yeah. Eventually, though, Thomas starts to empathize with these zombies, thinking they can feel, even giving them names. And for this, he's fired. But his conscience won't let him allow these zombies to continue to be experimented on. So he goes back to destroy them, because better a quick so, death so than a slow agonizing one. It's the 2000 AD special. Get a bunch of gasoline and set them on fire. 
<laughs> it's a pretty solid way to do do that stuff, man. On on reaction, we just had a dredger take out a car by lighting a machete on fire and then throwing it at a truck, and it, the machete Fuck. flew into the into the truck's gas tank, and the whole thing exploded. It was awesome. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. That really, is awesome. It really stuck with me. <laughs> oh god, that's so cool. Just because it's a flaming machete, buddy. <laughs> oh. That's Anyhow, such a clutch move. Super, oh, super awesome. But so he despairs that as he dies from dread bullets, dreads bullet. People thinks that that he did this because he's sad about having lost his job instead of compassion for the zombies. Oh, they missed the point. Yeah, I mean, damn. That was, and it's just like such a. This one being so detailed was very appropriate. I really yeah, excellent. Dread this this month, man. Yeah, it was a really good deployment by Craig Robinson and a way to sort of use Dread to sort of have a commentary on modern animal testing and things like that, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. Good stuff, yeah. Fun Dread this month, you know? Like, it feel like, I felt like last episode he really had to bring all this lighthearted stuff to deal with all the other <laughs> depressing oh, things. Shit. But this one's got a good mix of fun stuff and depressing or and, 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 and more sort of standard stuff, you know, like the... We got, like, we got a guy thrown in a fucking trash grinder... We had a crazy person who is fucking, I don't know, fantastic. We got a brainwashing and we got a zombie burning. I feel like. It's good. Yeah. It covers all the bases. <laughs> all four food groups. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're missing like like the stable base of danger acid, right? I mean, yeah, or like, uh, like, like, like sewer based action, you know? Oh, yeah. You'd really got it. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta hit the sewers. I can't believe they missed that. I mean, you know, that's what you go and use the food group when you use the the thrill groups instead of the thrill pyramids. You know, it's, it's got some blind spots. I, I fucking love you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, speaking of uh, maybe things that don't have your recommended daily amount of thrills, oh. it's non thrills covers and nerve center. <sighs> is it just oh, me, man. or does uh, the cover for like four sixty seven kind of just look like a big dong? Little bit, little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Prague four sixty seven. Dread makes a novel arrest in the big sleep. You're booked in this punny Cam Kennedy cover in the nerve center. Tharg can- uh, Cannibal from Halo Jones mentions a rogue trooper freebie next Prague. Dice Man really three coming look. in June. They really oh, look so similar. Thargan it's true. Ball. Yeah, I mean, they got that mohawk, right? I feel like mm. really sort of puts them in the same area. Um, Dice Man 3 in June, and uh, there's a bird story this week. There's a picture of a judge referencing English nobility names. Uh, Chandelier, Mole, Fortes, whatever. It's just a judge with a really long uh, uh, badge because he's got a weird England English hyphen name. Okay. There's a letter asking for 3D stories. Australians who have moved to England getting caught up on thrills, a bunch of specific dread questions, and a reminder that the Nerve Center doesn't sell any back issues or merchandise. Stop oh, asking. God. I mean, maybe... I, if it's, It seems like they've got the desire for it, you know? Yeah, but listen, you gotta talk to somebody else. Mid-Prog, uh, there's another giveaway of a Rogue Trooper Collected Edition. And the mm. prog ends with a brief preview of coming thrills, including Judge Anderson, Sooner or Later, and Bad City Blue. And then the back cover is a new Masters um, collection for King Carlos Escara with Dread, Slippery Dim, so Jim DeGriz, Strong Team Dog, and, Thar- and Tharg the Mighty, a master of the craft. You know, rest in peace, of course. It looks fantastic. God, I love his artwork. Totally, yeah. Real great stuff. Um, Prog 468. Oh, man. It's so Wait, spoopy. Let me see if I did this. Yeah. I Sorry, I, I, I was going to see if I missed something. But I didn't. Okay, cool. Um, but 468. It's 2080's ninth birthday, based on prog numbers at least. And we're celebrating <laughs> it with this iconic Judge Anderson cover by Brett Ewins doing the movie poster thing, where just everything spoopy, in this story happens all at once. You know, yeah. knifey, demons, crazy face child, exorcism judges, oh. all that stuff. Oh, it's awesome! It's all the things that you want in a comic book about a judge in Mega City fighting demons. Absolutely. Um, there's no real nerve center this week because instead it's it's like the anniversary thing where Tharg introduces himself and the comic as well as 
Beetlejuicey and phrases and stuff. Mm. Uh, Midprog is a pretty good pinup by Ian Gibson of Tharg and Bert and in a <laughs> carriage running through space. Which, what oh. the fuck? We gotta get uh, Berturella to the birthday ball. Whoa. What the there, fuck? <laughs> there's also a giveaway of 10 giant Judge Dredd posters and the start of a comic to advertise the movie Biggles, which I definitely haven't seen. Yeah, what the fuck is this? It, it's just one of these ones where it's like it's like half a page and I guess it's like the plot of the movie in comic form or something. Okay. It seems very weird to me. Um mm. <laughs> Next, Prog 469. Nice. It's <laughs> Mad Dogs and Beauty Men as the Rage storylines begins in this Carlos Escara Strontium dog cover. Um, a super muscular Thawky in here. I think maybe Rocky. I don't know. But he greets us with tales of new thrills and a new Best of 2000 AD issue coming out. There's I love also a picture. Prog, by the way. Yeah. Deadly Strontium Prague, a reference to Fergie from <laughs> Judge Cow being the same as uh, Sarah Ferguson, who's like one of these royals that married into the royal family or something that what? they also call Fergie. I don't know, dude. Like, I don't know this English stuff. <laughs> Letters also discuss Vikings having horned helmets, hoagies also being sandwiches, and a request mm. for how a 2080 um, s- script is written, which I'm kind of interested in as well, just the process of script writing. Mid-prog, there's a big advertisement for the humor comic Oink, um, starting with a send-up of known uh, moral scold Mary Whitehouse, called Mary Lighthouse here. Uh, We've seen her in Judge Dredd earlier as uh, Mary Blackshack, and she's one of the big crusaders for decency that, like, got action banned and tried to get 2000 AD taken down as well. Oh, fuck Um, them. Yeah, definitely. Oink is sort of a a humor version of 2000 AD, I want to say. It's often touted as that, though there isn't really a a creative, a a related creative team. It's this idea of, like, here's a a hip new humor comic in the same way that 2000 AD was a hip new sci-fi comic. Um, It'll run from until 1988, and I think the biggest thing is that it's where uh, Charlie Brooker, the guy that uh, behind like Screenwipe and Black Mirror and stuff, did some of his early work. He did some of his early earliest work in uh, Oink. Yeah. What? These British guys, man, they all get started in comics. It seems like. Wow. Midprog is also the results of a, of the Ghostbusters com- c- contest from a, from a while ago. Good luck to winners, as always. Yeah, man. Ghostbusters video. A whole video for you to watch of one of the best movies of all time. Definitely. Yeah, get baited. Lasts longer. That's what I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) Next up in Prague 470, Robin Smith draws a sting in the tail as Bad City, (laughs) as Blue of the Bad City shotguns some crazy monsters in the nerve center. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Tharg of Alamein introduces some new contests. There's a picture of Judge Degville and uh, letters about Nest's hair, the longest dread saga, a typo spotted in an old annual, and a reader calling out Tharg for breaking his own rules by bringing Ace Garp back to life. Oh, whatever. Yeah, it's good enough. It's fine. Whatever. They, you know, Ace Garp having a good time. I don't know. It's it's funny, like, these current Ace Garps are kind of frowned on by um by the sort of by the uh, conventional wisdom of 2000 AD, but I found this to be largely inoffensive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, time paradox shotguns exist in this fucking universe, so why not? Oh, yeah. I don't know, whatever. Bring that you guy back through, advi- ad- for, through editorial feedback or uh, fiat. Why not? Um, and <laughs> But speaking of time paradoxes, Fox. Oh, yeah. It's thrill for sooner or later. All right, you gotta you gotta help me understand this here. Yeah, um, because um. there's like this whole thing in this first thing that you will describe. Yeah, and then the second thing seem the second issue seems to just start in a completely different place. Am I wrong? Did I miss something? Not really, but it is weird, and I mean, it does sort of it is interesting how it shifts from black and white to color, and from sort of a, a multi page story to a back page story, which is going to be for a while, basically. Okay. Well, I'll let um, you do your thing, but the yeah. only one thing I want to say after this is, like, hairy armpits, I guess. <laughs> yep. Listen, you're all up in there, buddy. <laughs> Script about Peter Milligan, art about Brendan McCarthy letting her about Tom, or art about Brendan McCarthy letting her about Tom Frame. So I've, I've been excited of, uh, about this one for a while, actually. This, this okay. is a fun thing. Yeah, so sooner or later is a single-page comic. It's going to run for the next six months or so. 
It's also the t- it, or it's about the time-based adventures of Michael Smith, also known as Swifty. We start seeing him get ready in the morning, brill creaming his dreadlocks, and yeah, you could definitely get a he's got right. got some armpit hair going on for sure. I love I love this uh, the stuff on his on his desk, the unreasonable tightness of slip-ons. <laughs> Yeah, what the fuck? He's got a lot of like, like, like junk and like little puns and stuff on on his uh on on his on his dresser or whatever. And this whole story's told in the form of a narration box of a letter to his mom, or mum, I suppose, in it because it's English. He uh, wow. He meets his his buddy Clinton, and they're both dudes that are unemployed and down and out in 1986 England. They've got very little money, especially when that bird Wendy fobs a quid off of them. Yeah, what? Nothing. Um, <laughs> Swifty and Clinton are talking about <laughs> English stuff. They're, they're, they're talking about doing something to get money when suddenly there's a weird wave and Swifty finds himself talking to some white dude in funny clothes named Richard Shakespeare. So, and it seems like wherever he was, it was 1986, because he yeah. references that later. But mm-hmm. then it says, War Over. In like one of the things, so it's some kind of weird alternate future where everything's fucked up, or wherever he's from is just a horrible place with no jobs. Yeah, I I don't know enough about 1986 England to really talk about that confidently. I guess. Um, but so it turns out Swifty has been plucked from the past by rich folks in the far future, the 30th century. Um, they've also plucked Richard Shakespeare, who's apparently William Shakespeare's brother. Um, And after some quarantine time, he gets out and learns the rich people actually wanted Michael's, uh, the Michael Swift, who was a concert pianist. And when Swifty responds by saying, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a concert pianist. I'm I'm working on some postmodern stuff. Check this out. And just starts destroying the piano (laughs) with like a hammer. I feel like this probably wasn't the best move in this situation, right? Like, no, Mm-mm. but you know, <sighs> listen, like, just because you're also down out doesn't mean you can't also work against your own best interests. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> because of this, he's sent back to the time travel place, but not back home because he has to pay for his passage. How's he going to get the money for that? Same way you always do: get a job, Swifty, on your bike. But I and guess so, it's like a term. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, get out of here, basically. Um, so we now transition to the next Prague, which is the back page of the Prague in color, where Swifty's been kicked out of the time joint, and he just sort of lands in this brightly colored city um, and bumps into some random weirdo who explained that he's in Ether City, a massive metropolis that only takes up six feet of real space, which allows, which has allowed England to become the world's largest dumping ground for International Waste Disposal, Inc., and that's where they can sort of pay for everything. So they're sort of in this like weird futuristic virtual city kind of thing. I don't know. Wow. Um, everything there is real strange. Like yes. the ball on legs. Can't stress enough that the future is real weird. Um, yeah. International Waste Disposal Inc. They're rough guys blighting the land that needs them. Um, uh... Anyhow. The guys he's met initially don't have a lot of info for job hunting, so um, so they because they, they just sort of recite poetry for a living from Shakespeare to Yeats. Swifty okay. shoves off because they can't help him. Ether City is rough stuff, and it just goes from bard to worse, or sorry, from bard to verse. Whoa, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> It's a cute, yeah. it's a cute thing. I just don't, uh, I didn't understand what was going on, like, or who these people were, or if, if it was like, I, I missed something. So I kind of just like, said, yeah, fuck it and kept going. I mean, I'll, I'll very much say that I think it's, you know, we should wait, like maybe till next episode to really talk about what's going on with this thing. Um, okay. but I remember, I, I remember being very weird and very fun. And so I'm sort of interested okay. to see how it goes, you know? I'm interested. I look. I just love the way it looks. It's very, it's very cool. Looking. Yeah, Brent McCarthy, very definitely like doing like his art. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, yeah, just making this look. Everybody looks very cool and very hip and very like. Oh yeah, like we're cool guys. in 1986, which is a fun thing to see. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, next time and sooner or later, no more flashy word games. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Fantastic. And, Speaking of um terrifying changes to your reality, it's Thrill Five Anderson Side Division. 
Uh, Anderson's back. It's so fantastic. It's what we Skip. all want forever. It's true. Uh, Skip robot John Wagner and Alan Grant as R. Clark. Art robot Brett Ewins. Letting robot Tom Frame. Judge Anderson's back. And oh my god. There's some chanting coming from this mausoleum that's somewhere in this city. Yeah. Demon Mega City 1, a bunch of cultists and KKK hoods are summoning a crazy yeah. demon with far too many eyes and mouths, much to the horror of a sleeping child. Ugh. From what I can see, the cultists are chanting gibberish, I guess. I tried to put it in like Google Translate and I didn't get anything. Um, you know, Ari Akbar, Nostromedophim, Akbar Gargax. <laughs> Anyhow, um, at 0800, <laughs> in Side Division, we see Anderson use her, use her powers to interrogate a perp and, get, and, and being very smooth about it when she's called out to investigate a poltergeist at the Ed Poe block. Of course, Edgar Allan Poe. I think we all got that one. Yeah. So there's some demoning going on. Yeah. See a and kid some real a, butter ho- body horror shit. <laughs> definitely. A kid in a floating bed tossing stuff around. And when Anderson arrives to confront the kid, he's turned into a giant shawarma stick with extra uh, mouths and hands and grossness. <laughs> shawarma stick. That's all I can see what it is. He's got that yeah. look, you know. Now I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm not gonna be able to look at like kebabs the same now man yeah just imagine they're coming after you buddy so hammy blish he's all warped out he's a wickedish blish oh no (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i just got what you i just got what judge anderson is the special one But Blish is also possessed by the demon Gargax. When he won't give Anderson any information, she tries to restrain him, but he fights back, getting all exorcisty. You know, he jumps on a bed, he's throwing stuff around magically. There's no choice but to call the exorcist judges with their cool helmets. They got like crazy visor crosses on and stuff. It's neat. I I love that you can kind of maybe not see their eyes but sort of see their eyes they've got the whole batman look to them yeah i can't tell if it's their wiggling crucifixes at things yeah i can't tell if their eyes are just like glints in the middle of their helmet or something like that yeah so while they work anderson goes to investigate something following a telepathic cue to the home of a guy named victor who possesses at least two pairs of 666 marked kkk robes because there's one in his closet and one that he's wearing (laughs) one that he's wearing right now to summon gargax yeah you know well you know just because you don't want to wash it every time right you gotta have your spare yeah and like maybe one's like the casual robe for just when you're sort of meeting to plan the sacrifice (laughs) and then one's the fancy one for the actual sacrifice you know you don't want to wear the fancy one all the time you know that's the one that's got the big 666 on the chest not just on the top of the hat you know that's right and plus that one got like a gravy stain on it's real rough you know oh yeah you don't want to show up to like to the big demon day with a fucking grease stain. Oh, I got an pasta sauce all over my KKK robe, and the Gargax is going to be here any minute. <laughs> Judge Anderson asks the housewife about her husband, Victor's warlock costume, and Anderson calls him a witch. Yeah, which, Not a free right. plumber. <laughs> we see Victor and his buddies summoning Gargax and Hammy Blish making the final trans- transformation and killing the exorcist judges. Oh, no. Sometimes you just got to cut like part of your arm to then superpower your demon buddy that you're summoning for a party. Honestly, I say you got to do that most of the time. You know, that's how you know the party started once, this, once the self-mutilation starts, you know. <laughs> That's when you know um, demons are going to happen and it's going to be a great time and crucifixes won't mean dick. I mean, I don't want to say it's going to be a great time, but I want to say that once that happens, that's when you start got to start making hard choices about whether you want to go home for the night or whether you want to call into work and say you can't make it the next day. You know, like you got to you got to make that decision quickly or you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anderson rushes up to the apartment and then follows Gargax as it goes down to the basement. Anderson calls in the chase and follows the demon down. Next time, into the Undercity. Oh, man. Guess where we're going, Conrad? Into the sewers. Ooh. Yeah, seems likely. Listen, Anderson finally earning her wings by doing some sewer action <laughs> in Mega City 1, you know? That's how you know it's real. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ah, oh, fun stuff. Fun demon summoning. I love this. It, yeah, like you were saying last time, 
Like, fuck yeah, man. I'm all about demons getting into my sci-fi. I don't split yeah. my, my sci-fi and my demons from each other. I like to mix that in together. It's so weird just because those two genres are, are usually so different that when they get together, it's like, ooh, this is exotic. I like this. You know? uh, <laughs> I, I find this very appealing. Mm. Yeah, it's like putting uh, it's like putting uh, uh, syrup on your bacon. You know, like you wouldn't think oh, it, but you when you do, it, it's a real, it's a real game changer. Hard to go back, you know. Dude, you know my big suggestion. You know how you get like the best of this world. You get you put it inside pancakes. You put bacon Ooh. bits in pancakes, and then you pop that shit with syrup. It's really good. Or you put bacon That's in it. waffles. Well, that's that's crazy. And speaking of crazy, hey, it's Thrill Six Bad City Blue. It's pretty fucking. Oh God, I like it. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe I'm a no. Crazy there's a lot person. going on here. Uh, script robot Alan Grant is Craig Lip. Art robot Robin Smith. Lang robot Steve Potter. All right. So okay. Snake Sliskin. I mean Blue. <laughs> it's on his way. Through. I mean Blue. Definitely not New York or L.A. No, man, because it's that Dark City or whatever. Uh, spoilers yeah. for Dark City. Uh, Whoa. So, there's a city. It's in space under a dome on an asteroid. The city's dying. And into this massive twisting back alleys um, of the majority of the slums of this city comes Blue, a dude with a headband, cool boots and knee pads, a bandolier and a sword on his back, and a sweet headband. I gotta mention it twice. Yeah, he's a man. cop. And he's got a little scar under his, like, left eye that's like he's got some cool face scarring yeah Yeah. he's investigating gang violence and he's got a computer tracking his moves that has kind of a dot matrix screen of like what what the the world around him looks like oh okay the future is now conrad (laughs) most importantly though fox he's got a belt buckle that turns into a pair of spiced uh, spiked brass knuckles that are also guns the brass knuckles are also guns Dude, it's he can just like zap people from far away, mm-hmm. and then when he punches them, it really hurts because they're spiked, and it's also shooting. Totally, yeah. It's like <laughs> it's the brass knuckle version of that guy's sword in uh, Final Fantasy VIII, right? Oh my god! <laughs> With a shot at the end, where where if you where if you hit the trigger at the right time, it also like shoots it, and then you do more damage. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Good times. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Anyway, Blue's a button man for the city, all right? Accept it. We see him take out some random thugs, and then he finds his actual quarry, a guy named Gonza. The hit is on, and Blue just got out his shotgun. Aw, buddy. And he only needs one shell. It just explodes the whole area. Also, just to note, he scavenges everybody he come across. Er, he makes, Takes all their stuff, I, absolutely. Very RPG really, stuff going on here. Uh, yeah. he's, a, he's a genius. Blue blasts away the, the baddies and uh, Gonza sort of asks him why he's doing it because he says all the rich people, all the rich, decent people have left the city already. It's just the scum that's left. Blue doesn't buy it and kills him, takes his stuff, including his watch, True. and we see that he's just got an arm full of wristwatches. It's really great. I mean, you can never get enough watches, right? Like, Absolutely. what time was it in Tokyo? You're going to check your fucking future phone? They didn't know that that was going to happen. So having a Tokyo watch, it's pretty good. What's uh, hey. or or what is it? Because you know you saw the bubbles on the asteroid or whatever. There's a fucking volcano jungle on there. You don't know what time it is. I gotta there. I gotta disagree with you, Fox. If I'm wearing like seven or eight watches on my on my arm, I want them all to have the same time because I live in the now. Oh my god! And <laughs> just randomly <laughs> choose which one to check. That's right. Listen, I'm trying. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to know about other people. I'm trying to know about me very specifically. Um, <laughs> On this specific watch, or maybe the other one next to it. Yeah. So Blue takes his hoverboard back to his base, which is full of all the cool stuff he's taken from people over the years. There's a a guide to ham and cheeses, and some Ramon LPs. Ramon's LPs. Fifty-seven beans. <laughs> he feeds his he feeds his flying skeleton piranha and watches oh. TV. <laughs> Which, you know, but, I mean, as you do, right? Man, I've never seen someone with so much cool, so many cool signifiers. Like, if he didn't have anything else, <laughs> this guy's cool stat would be like a 15 out of 10. For real. Oh um, my god, it's really fucking fantastic. But the news is full of names he recognizes. Ships that have been destroyed, politicians that have died, but now seem to be alive again. Is oh, the news wait. on repeat? We also get oh, a, a look, he takes off his headband. 
You saw what's underneath, oh, yeah. right? It's just a fucking skull face. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Sorry. Real I just, awesome. I just need to interject on that one. Yeah. So uh, could all that – could that dude have been right and the whole city's just in a holding pattern of repeats and people not noticing it? The mysterious robotic hand that's scheduling Blue for immediate reprocessing would seem to indicate yes. <laughs> <laughs> All signs point to robot. I mean, listen, like once you got that Dr. Claw hand coming after you, all conspiracy theories start seeming valid. That's what I'm trying to say. I'll get you next time, Blue. Next time. <laughs> also, I, I just want to say... Me to going it. In... <laughs> so sorry. No, it's going, fine. Going into 470, my favorite, my favorite fucking quote out of all of this: "Just lie back and let the jayfish take me, wrap its cold coils round me, and everything would be okay." Out of context, yeah. that is horrific. It's pretty bad. <laughs> like you know, the the the, uh, the evil masters of this city did not do a very good job of trying to dress up their evilness as anything else. You know. <laughs> I mean, mm, cold tentacle coils. That's what I like. Yeah. With oh. a big headache and questioning his reality, Blue goes to head back to base by way of a flying jellyfish robot. But the robot <laughs> seems to begin to transport him topside, but actually tries to kill him. And Blue has no choice but to blast it with his shotgun. Oh, no. Well, the, holy shit. Let's yeah. go on the run now. The robot hand at the control panel orders Blue sedated, and he gets pricked, but manages to escape before the drug takes effect. Aboard his hover disc, Blue heads upwards into the upper levels, blasting as as he goes. Just randomly he, killing a bunch of people. No, just, yeah. Well, you know, just as he's flying over. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta pick up the extra XP. Yeah. He enters the rich part of town. It's completely empty. Deserted. What can it mean? What's going on around here? Well, I mean, I would guess that they, you know, something happened. <laughs> Indeed. Next time, Blue Moves. It's, uh, man, I love this Bad City Blues. It's so funny, man. Just like the, um, I love all the coolness signifiers and stuff. Yes. This guy's headband and things like that. It's such, like, it tries so hard to be cool that it actually comes back around and still is cool, <laughs> almost. Right. It's not, it's, it, it is a little bit overzealous, and then it just keeps going, and also, I mean, yeah. he could just do all the things, that's ah, awesome. Like, yeah, it's got a very Axe Cop feel of just, yeah. like, a five, a five or six-year-old being asked to describe a cool sci-fi dude, and then just putting everything they say into practice, you know? The idea that his belt is brass knuckles that are also guns, I just keep coming back to it, that that's just, <laughs> like, that's what a kid would say. <laughs> You yeah, know? you know that there is something like, like maybe maybe that's really the trick because it it's kind of coming yeah. from the heart and not from the marketing, I guess. And he's got like a secret base that's full of all the cool right, stuff, all this you cool know. Shit. <laughs> like yeah, it's like all it the just, things that I would think about. Yeah, it's very it it just feels like almost innocent in its attempt to be like tough and gritty or something. I don't know. Oh, I think it's, it's pretty just, good. I love it. I really yeah. hope this is how it stays. You can ruin that for me if it doesn't. Uh, I for, I, I honestly don't really re remember it very well, so I'm kind of interested to see what you know. We're getting into a point where I was not reading things as closely as I could have been, mm -hmm. so a lot of things are very mysterious to me, which is which this is fun is actually. Because so I'm yeah, exactly. I'm excited for more. Yeah. Well, and, we, and speaking you of, and I also push out a lot, like make new stuff. Like I'm yeah I'm good with them trying new shit because if that's what they're making, then. Down for no, I mean, City Blue. yeah, it's definitely like, like, like this and sooner or later are two completely new stories, not mm. based on previous 2000 AD IPs or anything like that. So it is awesome. a bold move at the very least. Um, and yeah, hey, and but speaking of reusing things from the past or maybe things that we aren't <sighs> that excited for, it's <sighs> Thrill Seven, Future Shocks, and Tharg the Mighty. Right. Trio of a uh, of a uh, future shocks this month. Uh, first is a Tharg story, super sub script robot the mighty one, art robot Eric Bradbury, lighting robot Steve Potter. Uh, Tharg prepares to expand to a new galaxy when a new challenger, the Brian Talbot bot, always fun to see these new art bots show up. Uh, he arrives and knocks the paperweight sized Richard Burton Bach into an inkwell. Talbot makes fun of him, and a sad Bert is suddenly visited by his very godfather. 
He's weird. granted a wish, and Bert wishes to be Super Sub, a huge, creative, powerful sub-editor droid. <sighs> His wish is granted, he beats up the Simon Geller bot Sim 1, edits a bunch of pages, yells at the Grover and Talbot bots, and does such a good job that Tharg sends him into deep space to introduce alien locals to the wonders of thrill power. Good times. Yeah, um, right. And I believe this story is also just to say that Richard Burton's back as the 2080 sub-editor, I believe, um, taking sure. over from Simon Gallen, who Gallery had the job previously. I think that's what it is. Um, next up, it's the regrettable ruse of Rocket Red Glare, a script robot Alan Moore, art, art robot Mike White, letting robot Steve Potter. This is the first of several reprints of Alan Moore's future shocks that, that we're going to see in the progs. Like um, you said, kind of taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like, you know, if you had some of Alan Moore's stuff, now that he's becoming a big deal in Watchmen, like Watchmen's coming out in 1986 as these progs are coming out, it's definitely something you're worth taking a, um, taking advantage of, especially if he's not coming back for Halo Jones book four. I'm surprised this, they didn't put it on the cover. Like, hey, we've got an Alan Moore whatever. I think they're just also trying to do it cheaply, so you'd have to do a new cover as opposed to just sort of reprinting this uh-huh. one completely. Um, this one first appeared in episode 70, Jesus Christ, oh my God. way back in 1981. Oh, my half. gosh. Half. Yeah, more than half, man, because we're almost at uh, half of the 75, you know? Yeah, so um, as I read this, I started remembering it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is, it was yeah. really funny. I especially love the just like the end where they just smash. Definitely. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. here's what here's what I said last time. Uh, Rocket Red Glare, very Dan Dare-esque mm-hmm. um, space space opera hero, um, beloved by the beautiful Lucia, the enemy of the evil Loomis Lo- uh, Logar, the man with a jade heart, but it's now 30 years later, and Rocket is fat and old. Lucia's your standard uh, hen-pecking future shock wife, and all the kids like that Kirk Cosmo guy instead. After a poor showing at a Megamart opening, Rocket has a plan. He goes to the evil lair of the retired Loomis Logar and asks for his help. And he finds Loomis obliging. After all, who could bear a grudge for 30 years? Loomis declares war on Earth and only Rocket Red Glare can stop him. But it turns out that it's all a hoax between the hero and the villain. And the evil ships are drones that Rocket easily destroys. At least until Rocket gets to Loomis's mothership, where a pair of giant hands destroys Rocket's ship. And Loomis easily conquers the Earth. Who could bear a grudge for 30 years? Loomis Lorga. That's who. <laughs> I love I love his comical, uh, totally bad guy, over-the-top murder device. Yeah. Just two no, this hands is, crushing a spaceship. This is a guy that, that studied at that mail-order academy and oh, the other Alan yeah. Moore Future Shock, I right? Love. <laughs> I love that Future Shock. Yeah, hopefully, I I think that one's coming to us in these in 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 the course of the prog. So oh, hopefully, we'll see excellent. that one again pretty soon. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, okay, final future shock, a rare color one here. It's called Alien Aid by Grant Morrison, uh, John Stokes, and Richard Starkings. It's in the middle also of um, one of the Strontium Dog pages, which, which is ridiculous. Bad form. Bad form. Very very shock. bad form. Yes. A mass of people wandering in a clearly post-apocalyptic London are running out of hope when suddenly they find an alien spaceship. The aliens are apparently great fans of human television and are there to see the real Coronation Street, among others. You know, they sort of like yell at some guy for being an evil soap opera protagonist and stuff. It's very, um, very, the, very like the Omicron Percy I-8 um, aliens in a Futurama, you know. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so... Unfortunately, there haven't been new soaps because of, you know, the uh, atomic devastation of the Earth. Um, and it's confusing to them because, you know, they aren't aware of the end of the, of the world. The leader of the survivors says they can't worry about soaps because they're all starving to death. But the alien says not to worry because they got the message about that, i.e. the 1986 uh, Live Aid performance mm-hmm. and its chorus of Feed the World. So they just pull out enough food to feed everybody on Earth. Good times. Hey, why not? That's right. Uh, your appeals to charity only work after everything else is dead and aliens finally come to save us. Back <laughs> the- <laughs> wow. Cold the world. Know. Yeah, I don't even know. You know, it's a whole thing. But yeah. Okay, Fox. With that, oh, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> we finished 
this month's thrills. Uh, April and May 1986, Prague's 467 of 470. And so with that, I have one question for you, my friend, as we've made our uh, powerful return to regular podcasting. Yeah, it's, boy. What were your top and bottom thrills? Rough. It's a real rough choice this time. Um, mm. I mean, just for bottom, right? Uh, so I'll I'll take top first. Uh, I'm really excited about um, Big City Blue. Wait, Big City Blue. Bad City Blue. Bad City Blue. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like going crazy over here. Oh, crazy. <laughs> and I'm also no really problem. excited for uh, Anderson Side Division. Since it wasn't a full four for each, uh, I am giving them a pass for this uh, for this month. And instead of awarding the tippity top spot to Judge Dredd because all four were fantastic. Ah, a rare Judge Dredd pick for Fox. It's very nice. You know, uh, I came back and then I started reading those and it was like, man, (laughs) Judge Dredd does some fucked up stuff. Uh, And I was pretty happy with it. It made me laugh a lot more than some of the other stuff, which is... Which is part of why, uh, you know, I, I believe this bottom spot is not necessarily unfounded, but, you know, it's sometimes I just got to give it to Ace Trucking. It's at the bottom. It's, that's it's, fair. It's, it's getting a little <laughs> off the reservation for me. I get, like, that's its whole, like, thing. It's just like, oh, God, there's just, I'm really done with these chickens, man. <laughs> they, need to, they need to get the fuck off Chicken Planet. Go somewhere else, do something else. I don't know. That's reasonable, um, yeah. Strontium Dog, I'm waiting. I, I feel like the next time that you and I read this, we are going to have a really hard time. Mm-hmm. Because there will be Judge Dread, Strontium Dog Rage, Side Division, uh, and Bad City Blue. And all of them are kind of like at the point of ramping up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I mean, it's I very much a. This is very much a situation that we're going to start getting a lot in 2000 AD where they just sort of have all the stories starting at once. So we sort of get – have occasionally just have periods that are a real strong like ramp – like a ramp episode basically where everything's trying to get interesting to grab your attention and stuff. Which so far, I say, so good. Yeah, I'm all for it. Like listen, make it hard to choose top thrill. Like that's a problem I want to have. You know yeah, what man. I mean? So Conrad, I've given mm. you my top. I've given you my bottom but. Everyone must know. All all slots must be filled. <laughs> yeah, good thing you've given me your bottom already then, buddy. Um, oh, God. Gross. Anyhow. That was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to agree with you for, for bottom thrill with ace trucking. That's fine. Um, you know, <laughs> like... I feel weird about the fourth wall breaking stuff. Like that's it, it is funny, but it's also like okay, like let's keep this thing moving forward. You know, they didn't um, do it with anything else. Yeah, and so that's that, and, and that was very much just a hey, let's pause just to kind of make fun of the fact that we're at in, in the ninth anniversary and stuff. Mm. Um, so it wasn't that great. Um, easily easy pick for bottom because everything else is pretty awesome. For my top, um, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, Judge Anderson. Awesome. Uh, for this one, I really like the demons. I like the introduction <laughs> of um, of the exorcist judges. Those seem really fun. You were getting really, really into the 666 uh, KKK demon outfit, man. I really like these warlocks. They're really cool. <laughs> like, Especially when they're... they've got the... The triple six on their fucking costumes. They're they're really on brand. I feel like we're going to talk to them and they're just going to be regular <laughs> Joes that just kind of have a hobby. Like, I think it's going to be a good time generally. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see how this how this is going to work out. Oh. And it's always good when Anderson's back just to, or, you know, I've, I enjoyed the previous Anderson story. I'm you know, mm. very interested to see her do stuff, um, not just against the dark judges, but also against the general like mystical stuff of Mega City One. We've seen that a fair amount in the annuals and specials, but I'm excited to see it in the actual progs themselves. I loved it when um she kinda like she cruised in uh and they're like, Oh, you have like you know about like demons and exorcism? She's like, Oh yeah, you know, we don't really know what the cause is, but we get to about like twenty to thirty cases a year. It's like Yeah what, I- what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, it's like, I always think of it as being like in Star Trek, where um, eventually in like Deep Space Nine, you learn that there was a division that just dealt with weird time travel events, you know? Which makes <laughs> sense, right? Like, yeah. 
like if enough are happening, eventually you're, you're going to develop some bureaucracy around it, you know? <laughs> Like, Mega City 1's gigantic and full of weird shit. So, like, you know, eventually, <laughs> over the course of, like, decades, once you have psychic, like, police, like officers and stuff, you're just going to develop some general policies around it and ways to deal with it, you know? It's really true. I mean... Like, you, every yeah. every exorcism can't be the first one. You know, at some point, it's, like, the 20th one, and it's like, okay, like, I feel like we have an, a, a baseline of how to deal with this kind of stuff. You know, Fucking hand me the holy water. It's good. To, it's time to go. You know. Fucking fantastic. <laughs> oh, oh man. man, awesome! All right, great that to be back. This a, was that was such yeah. a great episode. I'm gonna pat myself on the back. I made it. I'm gonna pat you yeah. on the back figuratively. Whoa! I guess. Long distance bat pack. I back pat. <laughs> I can't say that word. I love it either way. Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, go to Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. <sighs> wow. You know, I, I, I imagine at this point everybody knows the basic stuff, but you got to get it in there. Um, <laughs> come back next time as Judge Anderson tracks a demon, Blue searches for the truth, GBH punches some chickens, Johnny Alpha is on the path of rage, and Swifty heads out for the street of many madmen. Okay. And, yeah. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid for Rage.